Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. And it's actually one of the events at the Olympics that sells out probably the fastest, because a lot of people are like, oh, well, I can get five for the price of one. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I'm okay. A little hot. It is hot here on the New England area, like hotter than usual, which has yes. just been just been crazy. So we're we're all in our little home sweat. Lodges, I guess. I don't know. We 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 call it cooling centers in our house, where we'll we'll cordon off one room and have a we have portable air conditioners. That's all we have. We just cordon off a room and call it a cooling center, and there we go. You need those sprinklers that you can right in the house, that like the spraying things they have with the fans, right? And ready to like. We have a spray park down the street. I'm ready to go like shove all the kids out of the way and run through it. (laughs) Well, we always said that, you know, we were upset when they have the kid demonstrations. What about for the ageless wonders? Right. Right. That's what we need. But actually, today I'm excited. I'm really excited about today's episode because we will have five times as much fun as usual when we're talking about a sport because we are talking about modern pentathlon today. And now I know what it is. (laughs) Good. You're a step up on a lot of people. Hopefully this will help more people understand what it is. So I'm very excited because it seems like a really cool sport, to be quite honest. And I think the, well, we'll get into it, but I think what the International Federation is doing to make it a more watchable sport, I think that's also very cool. I don't see why, you know, once I heard it and once I heard our guest, Mm -hmm. I want to go watch it. I know. I know. It's so exciting. So today we've got Samantha Achterberg who has been competing in modern pentathlon since 2010. She is a five-time senior national champion in the sport, and she's also been a world champion in the triathlon, which is also under the, the Modern Pentathlon Federation. That is a run, swim, and shoot, and she's a world bronze medalist in the biathlon, which is run and swim. 
Unfortunately, due to injuries, she couldn't qualify for London 2012, and for the Rio Games, she was an alternate as she was the third-ranked American and only two slots were available for each country for the Games. However, now she's healthy and training to qualify for Tokyo 2020, and a couple of weeks ago, Samantha sat down with our contributor, Ben Jackson, to explain the ins and outs of the sport. Take a listen. Can you give me an overview of what modern pentathlon is and and the sports that are involved? So modern pentathlon, it consists of five events. We have essay fencing, swimming, horseback riding, jumping, running, and shooting. It's called modern pentathlon, and everyone's like, oh, well, there's, there's nothing modern about that now. But back in the day, it was actually one of the original Olympic sports, and it has a, a lot of history. The founder of the modern-day Olympics, Pierre de Coubertin, he actually founded the sport of modern pentathlon and wanted to design it to encompass an event for like, a well-rounded athlete mentally and physically, and that tested all the abilities. Uh, and it has a very strong military background. Hence why all the five events came together. If a soldier had to deliver a message across enemy lines, he would have to know how to ride a horse around any kind of terrain. He would have to know how to shoot. If he ran out of ammunition, he'd have to know how to sword fight. He came to a body of water, he'd have to know how to swim. Once you're on the other side, you got nothing left, you got to run. So kind of in that sense, that's how those five events kind of morphed together, kind of through a military background and then uh, into the Olympic sport of modern pentathlon. What is the order? of? Is it always the same order of the five sports? Yes. In a competition, we'll either start first with either the fencing or the swimming. Those two can kind of be interchanged. And then the horseback riding will always be the third event. And the run-shoot combined, which originally used to be separate. The shoot and the run used to be separate, but now it is combined. That is always the last event. So the winner of that event will always be the first place finisher. And you have to do all of this in one day? It's all in one day. Wow. What is it like to have to compete in five sports in, in a single day? I mean, both mentally and physically, I, I can only imagine, but it must be exhausting. It's a lot of preparation because for fencing, you're really trying to get more, yeah, you're trying to get warmed up, you're trying to get your body warmed up, so you also have a little bit more of that mental aspect when you are fencing someone, and it's a little bit different than like a normal FA bout where you fence like a five touch or a 15 touch. We do one touch with each person. If you're doing 35 bouts, 35 touches, one touch, one minute, basically either you hit them or they hit you, or a double defeat if no one hit, no one has their light go off in that minute. So I think that's like a huge, you have to build a fence for two, three hours and keep that intensity for 35 bouts. Being able to get through that, that's like a really long stretch of physical and mental ability. And then going to the swim event, that's more physical, so just making sure you're warmed up and kind of just gritting your teeth and getting through the pain. And then the horseback riding, you get 20 minutes to warm up on a horse that you've never ridden before. So you're really trying to adapt, get the feeling for the horse, see how they jump, sweet talk them a little bit, you're like, all right, let's get this done. Because you have 15, 15 obstacles that you have to complete, and they can be set to four feet high. So you really have to be putting a lot of faith and trust into that horse, you know, really know what you're doing and be able to kind of try and clear that horse out in 20 minutes. And then the run shoe is that last event. You're really trying to be steady on your shot and then go run hard and be steady on shooting. So making that transition, there really is a lot of that mental and physical up and down and things you have to really get your body warmed up with. I mean, it's taken a lot of practice, and that's why we do compete so much. Like, the Olympics are only every four years, but we have World Cups, 
almost like four year World Cup final, nationals. We have a lot of events during the year. So just getting that experience of how even if one event goes poorly, still being able to stay focused and try to come back in the other events to try and like still get a spot on that podium or run your way up into the top 10. So it's kind of like one event doesn't just set the tone for the whole event. You can really work your way back and keeping that mentality. It, it can be hard if you have one event that doesn't go well, but it, it can be a long day, but sometimes that's good. Then you can come back from a bad start or hopefully keep going strong if you have a good start. How is it that you train for five sports at once? Uh, it's a lot. <laughs> and I always kind of say our cross training is our training. So like a runner might do some workout to kind of help compensate and take some weight or load off of their legs. So, I mean, we do train a lot. We have about three to five sessions a day of training. So like a typical Monday could be like a running and shooting workout. So we'll set up the targets and we'll go out and run, do like a warm-up jog, and then we'll do some laps where we, you know, jog a little bit harder and then do some shooting. So we're practicing the running and shooting together. And then after that, we'll have a little break and then maybe we'll go to fencing, you know, do footwork for 30 minutes and then bow for an hour, get a break for lunch, and then we'll go swim in the afternoon for an hour, hour and a half. And then in the afternoon, could go riding or be in the gym doing strength work. That's a typical day, and then, I mean, it'll modify a little bit depending on the athlete, what their strengths and weaknesses are. So for me, like, I may need to bout more, so I'll be fencing three days a week and lessons two, three days a week, and then maybe only running five days a week because that's a lot of impact on my legs. And then I could possibly swim more on weeks that I'm doing a lot of fencing and running. So it's finding a balance, but I'm still trying to figure it out on, like, a good way to really train and keep my body healthy. Thankfully, I've been um, injured for a while since I had my hip surgery in 2012, but definitely like overuse stuff or just little aches and pains and little stuff here and there. So it's like a constant maintenance to make sure you're keeping your body fine-tuned, taking the time to recover, cold plunge, foam rolling, massage, all that fun stuff. Like fitting that in with that training, I think is just as important, and that's what I'm trying to really work on now that I mean, I'm not old, but I'm 26. Like, I'm not 18 anymore when I started the sport. So I really have to implement a lot more of that recovery time as a part of my training as well. One of the things that I have to ask about is how do you train to ride a horse that you don't know? (laughs) We do ride with um, a woman out in Fountain, Colorado. Her name is Tracy Powers. She has a, a riding program through... Colorado College and some schools here in Colorado and she has a variety of horses but it's only about like the same six horses so we'll just kind of rotate here and there and when we travel or do camp somewhere we try to kind of get on just different horses anywhere you go just to get that feeling but just being on the horse is just good practice getting that feeling of seeing the distance to the jump because every horse is a little bit different so even if I've ridden this, this horse maybe two months ago, it's still going to be somewhat new to me because it's not the same exact horse every single time. So, you know, it is challenging because when you go to Europe, the horses are so different versus like if you go to Mexico, which that just takes, I think, experience with competing and building that confidence up. But I think building that confidence up in practice and just riding a little bit of a variety of horses can really help, you know, just getting that feeling. It's like kind of just spending time, like if you're a biker, maybe just spending time biking, like just spending time in the saddle, 
around horses, getting your body used to like that feeling of the rhythm, finding a short spot, a long spot to a jump is just kind of things that we work on. But when you fly around the world and like you say, you go to Europe or you go, I think there was a competition in Doha maybe, and do help me understand what the scene looks like. You land there and it's time to get on the horse and do they just kind of walk you out to the stable and say, okay, here you go. Good luck. <laughs> it's great. They have a horse already packed up and you basically, they're like, okay, uh, what's your name? This is your horse number. All right, bring the horse over. You check the tack. You make sure the tack is the saddle, the bridle, everything that is the horse has on it. You check to make sure that it's uh, not broken because once you get on the horse, you know, you're pretty much set. So if something breaks, during the competition, it's like, well, that's your fault. You didn't check the equipment. You have to make sure it's good. And then they basically just give you the horse. Sometimes the people speak English, and you can kind of ask them. You're like, hey, is this your horse? What is good? Do they like a strong hand? Do they like need a lot of leg? Or do I need to be very soft with my hands? So sometimes you can kind of talk to the owner or the person that is holding the horse, and they'll be able to help kind of give you some tips with the animal. But you really can't figure it out until you, you're sitting on it and you're kind of feeling it out for yourself because everyone's a little bit different. It's, I always kind of equate it to speed dating. Yeah, I've never speed dated, but I would assume, like, there's just people that you mesh with better or that you can kind of get into a good conversation with or some people you really just are like, oh, we don't really click. Right. But I feel like that's kind of how it is with the horses. Sometimes you get on a horse and you're like, oh, like, we mesh perfectly. I understand it. We're working together. It feels good. And then some horses are just like, oh, my gosh. It, it can be scary and a little bit nerve-wracking. I mean, I've had some challenging rides and some challenging horses, and I've had some amazing horses. But regardless, you just get out there, and you're like, okay, i got to get this done. And it doesn't have to look pretty. Um, you just got to get it done. And the goal is to make it over the obstacle. Like you say, it's not about form or, or sort of sitting the right way in the saddle or whatever. It's just I've got to clear these 15, did you say, obstacles? Yes, 15 obstacles. So everyone has the same course that they have to accomplish, and you have a certain time allotted. You have to ride the course under that optimum time. If you go over that time, then you get time penalties. If you knock over a rail, you get penalties or deducted points. And if your horse stops or refuses at a jump, you'll also get deducted points from that. So a 300 is a perfect score for a ride, and then for every penalty you have you get deducted points and so that just at the end of the day at the end of the pentathlon event the person with the most points is a winner so it just deducts points from your score so that makes sense. yeah so it sounds like and correct me if i'm wrong if a pentathlete was perfect through all the events they would get some high score and then would it be like 35 300 points for the ride 35 points for the fencing and so on for the swimming and the run and shoot for the swimming 230 is like the base time and you'll get 200 points for that and then for every second you're faster uh, you get two extra points so the faster you are the more points you get for fencing, for every victory, you get seven points. So the more victories you gain, the more points you get. So if in fencing, you don't lose points, but you just don't gain points. And then um, based on the scores from the fencing, the swimming, and the horseback riding, you're put into your, your ranking list on like first, second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way down to 36. So say at that point you have first place, and then second place is 10 points behind them. 
both start to combine the run shoe event 10 seconds behind them. So every point that you're behind that first place person is like your handicap. So if I'm in 10th place and I'm 20, 20 points behind, I'll start 20 seconds behind first place. And then as that event goes on, we have the, you run in to shoot, you have to hit five targets, run 800 meters and do that four times. So you'll finish with the 800 meter run and your goal is just to pass people to move up into that first position so that when you finish that last lap of running, if you cross the finish line first, you are the winner. Okay. You're the winner so of the run event. You're the, you're the winner of the entire pentathlon event. Oh, okay. So it's, it's a little bit different now. Like we're decathlon or heptathlon, the track event. They have all these different events. And even though, like, the winner overall may not win that last event, his point total will be higher and he wins the entire event with pentathlon. They try to make it to where it's a little bit more spectator friendly so people understand. So if you're watching the combined event, it makes it very exciting. You're like, oh, that person's in the lead. Oh, no, they just shot bad. So now the other person passed them. Okay, now they're on their last lap. So it's kind of a game of, like, cat and mouse. You're always trying to catch that person in front of you. And you're kind of chasing down points, chasing down seconds to run your way up into a higher placing. Okay, so then all of the points that you earn for the riding and the fencing and the swimming all lead up to that run shoot. Correct. Okay, okay. So essentially the pentathlon is a very long multi-discipline race. Yes. It's not like a triathlon where you're going from like one event to the next. There is breaks in between except for that that last event that combined the running and shooting. That's the only event that's together, and then that will determine the winner of the whole event. Okay. And so let me ask, how far are you swimming? The swimming is 200 meters. 200 meters. And you said the base time is 230. Does it matter what stroke you use? You can use so many strokes. Freestyle is generally the fastest, so 200-meter freestyle um, would be what we're swimming. And I think the some of the men are swimming under two minutes. A lot of the fastest women are swimming under 210. So it's pretty competitive. Yeah, we're not as fast as like Michael Phelps and Katie Ledecky, but you know, we have four other events to train for. So you're not going to see quite as fast swimmers um, as you would in like just specifically swimming. Right. But and there still is some pretty fast people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think I could do that speed. <laughs> So that's the running and the swimming and the riding. What are you, or the, the fencing, the swimming, and the riding, what are you shooting? We are shooting a laser pistol. So it's basically the equivalent of an air pistol that you would see for like a normal normal shooting event. But we shoot laser now instead. And the reason that we do that is because they have our event in a stadium full of people now. So they had to eliminate the pellets that we shot from the air pistol, and they transitioned it to laser to make it more spectator-friendly to be able to have our event in a stadium where multiple people could watch and they didn't have to worry about live ammunition. We shoot at 10 meters, which is 33 feet away from the target, and you have to hit a 7.3 or higher. So it's a hit or miss. So all you have to do is hit the black, and... That will register as a green light, and you have to have five green lights before you can go run 800 meters. So over the course of the two miles that you run, you have to have 20 hits on your target. 
And the way that works, it's similar to like a biathlon event where they have to, you know, shoot and go ski, but we don't have a penalty loop. If you miss, you keep shooting until you hit all five targets or until there's a timeout. They call it timing out, which is 50 seconds. So, like, if your gun malfunctions, you just aren't shooting well, any kind of thing goes wrong, there's that 50 seconds where if you don't hit all five targets, then the lights will blink, and that's your cue to go run. Some of the fastest people in the world, like, if I'm shooting five for five, like, five hits consecutively, I'm shooting around eight to ten seconds. So, 50 seconds is really going to hurt you over the course of three or four rounds of shooting to be really competitive. In the combined event, you need to be shooting at least like eight to fifteen seconds per round for the shooting. So it's pretty, it's pretty quick. Now, one of our listeners, Meredith, asked about that, and she wanted to know. And I don't know if you have experience with shooting the pellets, but but is it different to try and shoot the laser pistol from the air pistol from the pellets? Does did that change the sport? So I did. I started out with shooting pellets, and I think the pellet actually. I I liked shooting pellets because I felt like it was a little bit steadier. Sometimes you can like jerk the laser, and you're like, oh, it hit the black. But if the laser jerks out of the black, they call it painting the target, and sometimes it won't register as a hit. It'll register as a miss. So I think with the with the pellet, you actually had a little bit more forgiveness um, on your error because the pellet was like a heavier projectile. Whereas with the laser, I mean, you have technology, and sometimes if you if you jerk it all, like with your finger, and that laser beam kind of makes a line instead of a straight dot, it can not register as a hit. So in my opinion, it kind of makes it, you have to be a little bit more steady with it, but you also do, you take down on the time because you don't have to take the time to load the pellets in. We just have to basically cock the gun to reload it. You don't actually have to load a pellet, which is very nice because when you're breathing hard after running a couple of 800s, trying to put a tiny little pellet into your pistol was was pretty tough. Um, That was challenging in itself. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, (laughs) It's been a little bit of a transition, but... I, I'm really glad to actually touch a little bit of pellet as well because I think that kind of helped me develop um, a little bit more precision and then kind of transition over to the laser target. Still, it's still considered a gun, but it is a little bit easier to travel with too because you're not really shooting live ammunition. That's been a huge help with like the traveling stuff. You're not having yeah. to go through the declaring of the weapon and all of that kind of thing like you would with a projectile? Yes. Yeah, that's a huge relief. <laughs> that was a pain sometimes. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, we, we spoke with some of the biathletes around the Winter Olympics, and they were talking about some of the challenges of traveling with rifles, especially in the countries where gun ownership isn't as common as it is in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. Even like traveling with fencing gear, I'm sure you know, like the bags are huge and you have a lot, you have a lot of gear and being a pentathlete, you have a ton of gear that we have to carry with us. I always call it playing like life-size Tetris every time I have to pack for a competition. I'm like, okay, I got to like make sure I got this fit in here and this fit in there. And then whenever you travel, TSA always opens up everything and does what they do with their bags and you get there and you're like, oh gosh, everything is everywhere, but... I mean, you kind of just get used to it. Like a lot of different sports, you just you just have a lot of gear that you're always packing and rotating through. Kind of get into a, a system after you do it long enough. Yeah, right. You get the you get the rhythm down. So let me ask: out of all of these five sports, do you have a favorite? I would say the run shoot, the combined. 
is probably my favorite. Out of the horseback riding, just getting to ride a horse from a different country, different continent. I've gotten to ride some amazing horses. It's been a really neat experience. But I love the combined event where I get to like run people down and the shooting and the running aspect. I think it really tests your not just your physical ability, but you really have to mentally focus when you're shooting because you can maybe line up all 36 targets on the wall so you can see what everyone is shooting. You can see the person next to you hitting or missing. So you really have to put those blinders on when you're shooting to like really just focus on what you're doing and like kind of separate the run and the shoot. You come in to shoot and you're like, I'm going to hit all five. Boom, boom, boom. All right, I'm off to run. But sometimes you'll get stuck and you'll have like four hits and you have one more hit and you already start thinking about running and you'll start missing that target. You'll miss, you'll miss. To me, it's like a little bit more of a challenge rather than just going out and running. You're kind of adding a little bit more into that and it's, it's fun. I enjoy it. I've seen the laser run videos on Facebook and that kind of thing, and it just looks like it would be a lot of fun to do. A a challenge, but a lot of fun. Yeah, and they're making so many. I think the great thing, too, is uh, they've really started to incorporate the laser run all over the world. They have a tour that they do. And for kids to be able to shoot, I mean, kids are like, oh, this is so fun. I get to shoot a laser pistol. It allows for so many kids to get into a little bit of a different sport. And they're not shooting, like, technically a real gun, so it's safer. It's a fun way for them to, like, start getting involved into the sport of modern pentathlon. They kind of get their foot in the door if they want to develop into a pentathlete. They can start off by doing these laser runs. I mean, it's been great. I know I've seen a couple of events that they've done here in the U.S., and I know in Europe they've grown so much, and there's so many people. But, I mean, kids from all ages. So it's really neat to see that develop. Because the sport really isn't quite as popular in the U.S., unfortunately, as it is in Europe. So I'm hoping that kind of this development will help the sport grow and even just development for just the laser run and other aspects of just being a multi-sport athlete. How is it that you found the sport? Someone actually found me. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Colorado, in Littleton, Colorado, and just at a young age, like my parents, they hunted. So I learned how to shoot, and we were always up in the mountains skiing, lived across the street from a pool and a tennis court. So I swam, I played tennis. I think I did, like, volleyball at one for a season. I tried ice skating. I loved horses, so I started picking up horseback riding when I was eight. I played soccer. So I, I kind of picked up more of a, a liking to soccer and swimming and horses. So that was my main combination of sports and skiing. And then when I got into high school, my mom signed me up for cross country. And I was kind of mad. I, like, didn't really want to run. I liked running, but in soccer, when you're chasing after a ball. But cross country was so much fun, and I really developed a liking for running. So I, I still swam. I ran track. I was still riding horses at the time. And someone who I rode horses with, her daughter did pony club, the tetrathlon which is shooting, running, swimming, and horseback riding. Um, her, so her daughter did tetrathlon and pentathlon, and we got to talking with my parents and heard that I was a runner and a swimmer and got to talking with my parents. We looked at the event online and like, oh, pentathlon, like, this is cool. I, I've shot before, like I've never fenced. So I went down to the Olympic Training Center 
youth developmental camp in 2010 and it just kind of all started from there I got to meet the coaches and learn about the sport give it a try I did my first few competitions and ended up qualifying for the youth world championships team and I went to the youth world championships got my ass kicked I was like okay cool that was fun like not going to do that anymore I'm going to go to college I'm going to run you know just kind of maybe run maybe swim I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do and the coaches were like, no, we really think you have potential. And so they encouraged me to stay in Colorado Springs and train at the Olympic Training Center there. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll try it for a semester. So I ended up enrolling in UCCS to Colorado Springs. I did night classes there and stayed at the Olympic Training Center and started full-time training um, while doing school part-time. And that was just kind of how it, it all got going. It was kind of a crazy story and it all happened really fast but you know here I am eight years later still doing the sport I mean I've definitely had my fair share of ups and downs injuries and I had to have surgery in 2012 and I missed out on the Olympic team um, in Rio so it's been a, a really up and down road but I've gotten to travel so many places all around the world meet some incredible people and I've learned a lot about training and my body physically and the sport and I've seen it grow and develop and like I said just make friends from all over the world so I'm really fortunate that I kind of fell into it I wasn't ever really I just had a weird combination of sports growing up and I was fortunate that you know my family had just gotten me involved in athletics I didn't really specialize in one thing or another I always really encouraged lots of young kids I'm like you don't really have to specialize I know a lot of coaches really want that but you kind of burn out and I think that's one of the reasons why maybe I didn't have a bunch of success in high school until later on because I was such a multi-sport athlete but it pulled me into such an amazing sport like the Tazlon so I'm I'm extremely lucky and (laughs) yeah that was kind of the long longer version than probably you wanted but (laughs) no it's interesting because I think it is one of those things where we talk about how pentathlon it's an interesting sport and and I was really excited that I got to do this interview because it's one of those things that I always kind of have been aware of. And, and you, I think most people, it only ever kind of surfaces in their consciousness, at least in the U.S., around the Olympics. And when, yeah. you, when you think about that, are, are there ways for people who might be interested to watch the sport and follow the sport in non-Olympic years? Yeah, I, like I said before, it's not every four years, it's, it's every day. Like, we have four World Cups a year. We're trying to kind of build up the social media platform a little bit more with, like, Instagram and Facebook, but they've actually been pretty good on Facebook about posting when there's camps and there's developmental programs kind of all over the U.S. now. They have one in California and Florida. So there's some little, and I, I believe they, they just kind of go through, like, here in Colorado, there's a fencing club in Denver um, and she also has kind of a little pentathlon program that she tries to get kids involved with. And then if there's a camp at the Olympic Training Center, they'll post that on, I think it's usapentathlon.org. They have all the information on when camps are going on and competitions. And they're really trying to grow it and build the regional aspect, regional competitions to try and get more than just Colorado as being like the home base for our sport, which I think is great to be able to like help try and get kids involved. And unfortunately, there's not a collegiate opportunity yet for Pentathlon, but who knows? <laughs> Maybe in the future um, can hopefully get that. I think that's one of the biggest things is a lot of kids want to go off to college and just, you know, get scholarships or do a sport. And that's kind of where 
you know, we don't have that NCAA or the college aspect. So for kids that do want to go to college, it can be difficult to train for five events. But and athletes are anywhere from 18 to like in their 30s. So even if people swim or run in college or just do both and do a little bit of fencing and a little bit of riding and shooting on the side even after you finish college there's always an opportunity to get involved in the sport as long as you kind of keep your foot in the door and it's never too late there was a huge amount of masters athletes this year at nationals and that was really neat to see some people who had been involved with pentathlon a long time ago that are coming back or just people that are new to it so it doesn't matter if you're 30 40 50 10 there's people from all ages which i think is Something you don't really see in a lot of sports. It's kind of like a family because there isn't a ton of athletes in the U.S. So that's growing, which is great. But I think it is like a small, close-knit community and we're all very supportive of each other. So it's kind of fun, a fun thing that a lot of sports may not really have because they are so big. One of the things that our listener Patrick asked us, he said, are, are you worried that the sport might get cut from the Olympics? It was at risk at one point, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah, it was at risk of being cut from the Olympics, and that's partially why they made the transition to the run-shoot combined event, like the laser run, was because people couldn't understand what was going on, and it was kind of boring. They were like, oh, well, now we're watching them shoot 20, 20 shots. Oh, and then we watch them run. Now we have to go here and watch them swim. Like, it didn't really make sense to a lot of people. That's partially why they adapted the combined event was to appeal more to spectators and the IOC and the Olympic committees that our sport really can be spectator friendly and can appeal to that. So as far as I know, like we're we're good right now. We've made those changes and sport is really developing and it's shown a good outcome. And it's actually one of the events at the Olympics that sells out probably the fastest because a lot of people are like, oh, well, I can get five for the price of one because you get five events that you can see for the price of one. Yeah, and, and it's an all-day event. And then now the way that they're trying to do things, they're trying to make it in one stadium where you can see everything. So getting like a portable pool to bring in Rio was the first Olympics that they really did that. They had the fencing hall, the pool, and then the horseback riding and the combined event all within walking distance of each other, all within 400 meters. So that was really neat. And I think that played on the spectators. That showed the IOC that our sport really wanted to make these changes to stay in the Olympics. So hopefully that'll be the case moving forward, especially with doing all these laser run things and building awareness of the sport of pentathlon. Well, and you mentioned before, pentathlon was created or proposed by the founder of the modern Olympics, and it's got some other history associated with it, right? I guess General Patton from World War II was a pentathlete? Yes, he was, yeah. But? <laughs> he fell short of making or winning a medal, um, ironically, because he stated he shot through the same hole twice on his target. But they said he missed completely, so it's kind of ironic that like a general in the army would miss the target completely. Um, but he missed out on winning a medal, so it's kind of a kind of a funny story in that sense. It's got to be expensive to try and train for five sports at once. In addition, both in terms of money and time, and it sounds like that could be a real challenge for an athlete like yourself in, in trying to develop skill in all of this. And so do you find that it can be tough, especially with a sport that's less popular, to make sure that you have all the resources you need to train? Yeah, I turned 26 this year and 
you know, going off my parents' insurance and, and, you know, you get to a point you're like, okay, I'm not really making a paycheck and I love what I do and I really want to make this. You're only young once and you're only going to really be able to, you know, follow your athletic endeavors to this level to a certain point. But if it means me taking out loans and going broke and, you know, not really being able to, like, have a successful future because, you know, I'm going to go in debt just trying to pay to go to competitions and fund myself for training and going to all these events. It can be kind of a hard decision. You're like, okay, when when do I just say, like, I can't anymore. Like, I love this, but financially, I just, I can't. And sponsors are really tough to get, especially in a sport that's not well known and a little bit smaller. Big reason of being able to, like, be a part of the military and gain support that way. That's been huge. There is parts of the sport that are developing to try and grow that funding, which I think is, is really good, especially smaller groups all around the U.S. that are trying to kind of build up training sites and teams so that people can train for all five events in one area or, like, one general location because that's a big challenge in itself is just trying to find a place where you can train for all these different events um, and not driving, you know, an hour here, an hour there. So hopefully that will kind of make a big impact for a lot of the youth and junior and even senior athletes to be able to train more consistently at a lower cost so that they don't have to quit or, you know, make any other drastic changes. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. When you think about the sport and you think about the events, is there anything that somebody watching at home, there's probably a lot of things, but is there any one thing that you think fans should sort of keep in mind as they watch this sport that might not be immediately obvious to them as they sort of see the event unfold? I think a lot of people don't quite see the ability to transition from event to event. A lot of people are kind of like, oh, pentathletes aren't, aren't as fast. We're not as fast runners or as fast as swimmers as, like, the track or the swimming athletes. But, you know, there really is a lot of athletes out there that are super fast runners or super fast swimmers. But once you incorporate all those different events, you'll kind of see maybe someone's a really, really good swimmer when they come in, and then they'll start to kind of get faster at running, and their swim time will get a little bit slower. So there's always a give and a take. So I think when people watch this, they have to just remember, like, you know, you can't really equate us to, you know, a single sport athlete based on our time or our abilities. And I think you have to look at the whole thing in general. And I think a lot of people do, though. They see what the sport is. Once they learn about it, they love it, and they really take an interest to it. Once they kind of figure it out, which I wish there was kind of a better way for people to understand it, because it can be a little bit confusing, but I think the newer format is, is exciting and has really made a lot of changes for the sport. But I just encourage people just to, like, check it out, because I think even if you don't, you know, quite learn about it, when you see it, I think it makes a lot more sense than being able to kind of experience it and see it firsthand, whether that's, like, watching a, a live feed from a competition or just watching a video online. It kind of might make a little bit more sense on a little bit of what we do and kind of that the difference of having that mental aspect of events and the physical aspect as well. So let me ask you one more question, if I could. Yeah. One of our listeners, Claire, asked if you could create Samantha's modern pentathlon of any sports that you could put together, which five would you do? Hmm. Okay, so I'd for sure, <laughs> I'd probably mix a little bit of like winter and summer and be probably a little weird. I would probably have to put skiing in there. Cross country or downhill? Would, uh, downhill. Okay. Downhill skiing. And then 
Uh, I would keep the horseback riding, the running, the swimming, and I think um, the skeet shooting, skeet or trap, where the targets are moving. Okay. I think that would be kind of that would be kind of fun to include. So it'd pretty much be pretty similar, but it would just include the skiing. That's always something I, I miss being on the mountain. I miss skiing. Um, that was kind of just something our family did growing up, and I just loved going back, um, flying down the mountain. That was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to to talk with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, we're, we're all accomplishing our own things, so whether it's one event or a job or anything, like, it's always, I always tell people, like, everyone's an athlete, like, working a nine-to-five job is no easy, I mean, and dealing with kids or family, it's a lot, like, no matter what you're doing, so everyone has something that they should be proud of, that they're, if they're going after a goal or they're trying to accomplish something, you know, whether that's academic or athletic, like, I always just try to encourage them, like, it doesn't, doesn't matter what it is, but if you find something that you're really passionate about and that you love to do and, like, you're going after it, like, props to you, like, that's, I think that's what matters and that's, as long as you keep that drive, you're, you're going to accomplish good things, so I always try to preach that, like, you don't need to be a pentathlete to, you know, we're, we're like, the crazy, crazy end of the spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a fun end of the spectrum to watch, at least. So. Good, good. Thank you, Ben and Samantha. You can follow Sam on Twitter and Instagram at Samantha A USA. On Facebook, she's Samantha K USA, and her website is SamanthaKUSA.com. Senior World Championships in Modern Pentathlons coming up on September 1st through the 10th in Mexico City, Mexico. So if you want to watch some Modern Pentathlon, check out uipmtv.org. That's a part of the International Modern Pentathlon Federation, and they usually have clips and videos on their sites, and maybe they'll have uh, some live streaming. That would be cool. Now, I was getting confused before we did the interview Mm -hmm. between modern pentathlon, Mm -hmm. heptathlon, and decathlon. Okay. I was getting them all mixed up in my head, just because a fawn... Was... You, you And it's easy to equate all of that with athletics, with track right. and field, because the HEP and the DECA are track and field events. Right, but, but the... the pentathlon competed by both men and women, totally different. Yes. So I really did not understand it until we were listening to this. Right. It but is... it sounds very cool. It does sound very cool. And it, I mean, it is the Olympic sport. It's Pierre's little Olympic sport. Absolutely. But it makes sense because he loved the whole idea of the complete athlete. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Ben asked the question of what uh, Sam's five sports would be. Right. So what would your five sports be? What would my five sports be? That's a good question. Um, My five sports in a pentathlon would be, well, I like the idea of swimming and stuff. Because that's, so that's a big equalizer. Yes, I always like swimming, sport. and that's a big equalizer. I like the... Oh, gosh. How would I make that accessible? Hmm. So we'd have swimming. Wow, you really put me on the spot. It's going to take a while for me to figure out. You know, I would like a gymnastics floor routine. <gasps> I, I think like that. that would be cool. Yes. So we'd have swimming. We'd have a little floor routine. We'd have... If I want an all-around, what would an all-around athlete for Jill do? 
I would have some kind of fighting sport. I don't know. It wouldn't be. I don't know if I'd do boxing because I like jumping rope, and that's a big element of boxing. But you know, we just did a judo interview last night, so I'm kind of up on judo right now, and okay. um, so. I think maybe maybe judo I'd throw in some kind of some kind of combat sport. So we'd have swimming. You got I think some running would be good to have cuz that's standard, but you know. Um <laughs> I need one more. What else should one know how to do? And my other thought is is, is I don't want it to have a lot of equipment. That is the other thing going through my brain. So if you did a floor exercise, you just need a leotard. If you did swimming, you just need a swimsuit. Like judo, you need your gi. Uh, running, you need some shoes and stuff. But what else would be a nice cheap sport? How could you not have been prepared for that question? I don't know, because <laughs> I'm just overwhelmed. <laughs> um, oh, weightlifting. Throw on some weights. Yes. Excellent. I think that's what I would have. So we'd have a little... Oh, but there's archery, too. Hmm. So what'd I say? Uh, swimming. Swimming. Oh, uh, take, out the run, take out the running and do archery instead. Okay. So, so swimming, uh, floor, floor exercise, routine. archery, judo, and... And weightlifting. And weightlifting. I think that would be good. I like that. What would you do with your five? What would your five be? Well, we'd have competitive eating in some form. <laughs> we would have um, limbo. <laughs> we would have um, an agility course with a dog you don't know. Ooh. We would have balance beam. Okay. You know, because after the eating contest, the balance beam would then become a lot more interesting. Oh, my gosh. And then you would have cheerleading where you get to be on the top of the pyramid and you have to balance on the top of the pyramid. So you just have a, a pyramid of random people? Yeah. Far out, man. I I could never watch that because I I competitive eating makes me sick. Like watching competitive eating just makes me gag. I can't even watch it when they have the highlights on TV. I like Ben has to tell me, don't look. <laughs> he does. I just I have to turn my I'm just so revolted by the idea of competitive eating. My it's, life is competitive eating. Who are what who are you competing against? I'm competing against the best me that can eat. Do you ever only, win? Honey, when there's food involved, <laughs> I always win. What are the rules? Because it's not speed, is it? It's it's quantity and speed. Okay. And quality. You don't you don't eat competitive eating is not about eating crappy food. I mean, I know real competitive eating in, but in Allison's Modern Patathlon, you get a good spread. Oh, it would be a spread. It wouldn't be one kind of food. Oh. Okay. So you have to eat like a smorgasbord. Yes. Far out. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that, but I, I'm trying <laughs> to put the visual out of my mind because I will just on the air. <laughs> Well, I wonder if Samantha would like any of those. Yeah, I don't think Samantha would be competitive eating. I don't think so either. No. I, I, competitive eating takes a special person. So maybe we can petition the Modern Pentathlon Federation to have our versions of pentathlon in 
And maybe they'd get into the Olympics someday. You know, like we could have, they had that biathlon and triathlon. We can have a jalathlon and alathlon. Alathlon? Something like that. I don't think that would work. Well, we could rename it. <laughs> An alathlon? <laughs> hey, do you think those those portable pools they use came from Mirtha? Oh, I do. Totally do. I totally, you know, because that's, so. yeah, I know. That's what. It's like connections in the Olympic fever universe. Like these two things exist. I saw a picture on Twitter and I think somebody mentioned me or mentioned us and it was, or it was some, some kind of swimming competition or something. And I saw the Martha pools in the background on the sign on the sponsor signage. And I almost was going to say something. And then I was like, well, that's a little too geeky. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, I see the Martha pools in the background. That's so cool. But that's what we are. (laughs) That's why we exist to notice the Martha pools in the background. Well, I owned that one for myself. But anyway, we've got some, speaking of Team Olympic Fever, we have some member updates. If you happen to be in Shanghai in September, on September 16th, Stars on Ice will be there for one night only. And you know who's going to be skating? Team Olympic Fever members, Megan Dumel and Charlie White. They're going to perform. Oh, yeah, they're going to be, Megan oh. will be with Eric and uh, Charlie will be with Meryl. So it will be oh. very exciting that they're all back together. That's get exciting. the band right? back together. I know, I know. And then I saw today on Twitter that our uh, Synchro Swimmer member, uh, Jacqueline Simoneau, participated in some kayak event from Montreal to Quebec City. And she I posted, saw that to she raise funds. Okay, cause she posted an article and I didn't have time to translate it and uh, check out what that was. Yes, it was a fundraiser and I, I'll be honest, I don't know what the, the cause was. But that was very cool. Yeah. That's probably a long, that's a long kayak, I would think. I know. So. Does this girl have fins? I mean, seriously. <laughs> she can do it all. She can do it My all. goodness. Did you see that the IOC is apparently getting a new headquarters in Lausanne, building a new one? Do you think the new norm's going to have an office in there? Oh, wouldn't it be great if you did? Yeah. Or at it'd least a conference base- room. I know. It'd be in the basement, though. Yeah, windowless kind of thing. Yeah. Budgetary reasons. Yeah. Poor Norm. I know. But that, that's all I've got for, for news. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff. I don't know about you, but I have just been watching a lot of Beijing highlights because we are smack dab in the 10th anniversary of yes. the games. Oh, man. Today I watched that drumming segment the drumming. From, from the opening <gasps> ceremonies. It was so cool. Well, I mean, and they did the drumming in Korea as well. So. I know. I know. Amazing. So does that mean Tokyo now will do drums as well? They might because they've got them. <gasps> They are so cool. That taiko drumming is amazing. So we could have three Olympics in a row where I get my drums. Yes. Right, because it would be Pyeongchang, Tokyo, and Beijing. Beijing. Yes. Oh, I love that. Would be amazing. And I like I had forgotten that they had like light up sticks and stuff, and that they turned out the lights in the stadium so you could see the effect of the light up sticks. Oh my gosh! Like no drummers. Yes. The drummers were all wearing diapers. Well, what? What else do you wear? I know. No, but... no, no. I mean, they were diapers. They weren't allowed to go to the bathroom. <gasps> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. What? Yeah. I'm at a loss for words, but I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Now I've upset you in so many ways. Competitive eating, thumbs and diapers, more than we needed to know for one episode. Wow. I wonder how many used them. 
I don't want to know. How how much, how long were they out there with no? A long time. Oh, man. But that was really cool. I mean, no detail went left unnoticed in that opening ceremony. And of course, I don't know if you've also been seeing this, but they've got the articles with the, hey, look at these abandoned and decaying venues from Beijing, which always stinks. But yeah. It doesn't surprise me, but it was interesting that the only venues that I saw were like BMX, which actually surprises me that Beijing did not figure out a way to reuse the BMX venue because you would think that BMX is popular with the kids. Isn't that why we have it? It's popular with the kids? Well, and me because I do like watching it. But I would have thought that they would have turned that into like a come and ride at park. Yeah. And I would have thought the bird's nest would have survived better than it has yeah in some in some way maybe i mean is it just so big that yeah it could be that 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 was too big for anything else right there's not that many events that need that big of an audience yeah so i would go see those drummers again though oh damn man right drumming again oh the bird's nest that's all they do they drum i'd be there and i hate birds (laughs) <laughs> i do i'm afraid of birds do you like their nests well you know if it includes chinese drums i am there okay well, so it'll be interesting to see how like i didn't have time this week to look at like a full comprehensive list of what what's being reused and what's not but you know they're they are reusing some venues for 2022 so it's not like everything is decayed, but you, you know what the other one was that was was decaying that I noticed the kayaking that mm, and that fake lake. No, it wasn't the fake. It was the fake white water. Yeah, of course, which, to you know, I and I know kayaking is hard and white water would be cool to do, I bet. And it looks really hard when they're trying to go upstream in those gates. But that man-made venue for that water, that just. We see that one get not used time and time again. Yeah. And that really bothers me. But those drummers, right? I yeah. want to end this on a happy note. <laughs> we'll put them in the white water. Maybe that'll make the people want to come. Drumming in the water. Oh, that could be part of the pentathlon. You think? Water drumming. <laughs> How do you judge that? Like, do Artistic. you make it down? Okay. <laughs> And there's a scoring controversy in the water drumming event. Every time? Then the Romanian judge gets thrown out. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, if you see that in the Olympics, know that you saw it, you heard it here first. <laughs> I can dream, man. I can dream. We all can. All right. Well, I think it's time to take our dreams and work with them for another week. Thanks again for listening, everyone. I want to say it this week. Okay. Keep the flame alive! We love to hear from you. Email us at info at olimfever.com or leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. You can also interact with us on social. We're Olimfever on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. What would your five be?